um, is to identify sources of conflict within the life cycle and then ways in which it can be addressed, which is going to bring in a conflict resolution model that we're going to use here, which is the one based upon Thomas Kilman's work. So to begin with, um, looking at different conflicts. Well, first of all, Adam, is, is conflict always a bad thing? No. Conflict can be very disruptive. So, yeah, But what, it, why, why, why might it be a good thing? Why well, might we want to see a bit of conflict in a project at times? Well, it can encourage competition. So it... Um, I mean, I always think if you look at Soviet Russia, uh, oh, Soviet no, no. Union, that age-old project management. Yeah, well, example. if you look at so- Soviet Russia and in the, did you talk about the Cold War? <laughs> well, that's uh, what that, I'm going to talk about. That was a good thing. The, the 50s and 60s, you know, very little uh, of any quality and value and innovation came out because there was no conflict in in sort of areas such as manufacturing. It was all state-controlled, so their buildings, their vehicles, etc., famously were were pretty shocking. Uh, because there was no competition. Um, so the sort of whole premise of capitalist society is, is built on is that conflicts and competition leads to sort of better solutions for the customer. Um, I mean, then people, you say that, and then people go, ah, but they had great military aircraft and great um, rockets that went in space. And if you think about that, they were actually the only areas where they saw themselves in a competitive environment. They were competing directly with the USA, and, and in fact, that did, did spur them on then, then still to be uh, <laughs> probably still a little. Bit. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it, it, you know, competition and innovation, I think, is is, a, is a, can be a good uh, consequence of uh, conflict, and there, there are others as well. But I, I think for the purposes of this podcast, we should probably move on. Yeah, I think that wasn't quite the answer I was expecting. <laughs> I thought maybe you know, talking a little bit about storming from Tottenham's model, um, yeah. or whatever, whatever. Suits you well, mean. it's it's going to happen. It's inevitable conflict, yeah, and, uh, and because we're all different. Yeah. But 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 if people keep things to themselves um, and the conflict isn't brought to the surface, yes. then that can be a bad thing. So you know, the, the fact that there is conflict, um, it ought not to be an aim of the project manager and everybody else working the project to suppress all conflict. No, um, because as you say, it can be quite a creative thing. And and you know, this is the the we'll go on to look at what Thomas and Kilman said about uh, conflict, but. Uh, some people that is their natural bent they don't like it and and they will try and do that and it's not always the right approach and so within um within the um the projects and its life cycle um yeah. you can have all kinds of sources of conflict so there can be a disagreement about objectives in the first instance yeah and maybe whether you know if you think to to sort of concept have you agreed on the right option there may be some people thinking that there were there's a better way forward with the yeah. business case um, and 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 priorities as well so just the order in which things are delivered um, yeah. so and that's why the the sponsor is such an important role um so he or she really should be there as the ultimate conflict resolver if you like mm. um where because ultimately it is for that individual yeah yeah um i mean moving on to definition uh, conflict so the schedules the budget we haven't been given enough um we're spending too much on this project um we, we've we've not estimated correctly. I mean, there's, there's going to be conflicts over all sort of areas. Yeah, of, everything which is which is estimated. You think you know? Do you put down the most optimistic value, the most pessimistic value? You know, there can be disagreement about those kinds of things, Absolutely. and there can be disagreement between the supplier side and the customer side about the feasibility of things and the yep. cost and the contracts um, that we'll be having a look at. Absolutely, and and in turn, you know, moving on to development, uh, development phase. That's going to those potentially can continue. Uh, with disagreements over tasks and and priorities and uh, schedules and budgets and yeah, so and, and perhaps maybe um, linking it to quality. If yeah. the supplier has delivered something that they feel was what was asked of them, and the customer labels it as being an off specification, that could be down to a poorly written 
specification or product description in the first place, and that then can get quite adversarial. Yeah. So as we were talking in other podcasts, if people start to invoke the contract, it's no, it's, it's then that you know you're in trouble, really. Yeah. And then handover and closure. Yeah. Well, I suppose the big one here is, and the one where you definitely don't want conflict is around acceptance, and, and obviously some projects do end up in conflict there, but has an adequate solution been delivered that meets the acceptance criteria? And I'd say that's probably the one, the one big conflict you want to avoid. You you want to got things right by then. Yeah. And just generally with um, with conflicts, um, if you are going to deal with it, it's useful if you can to try to identify the source of it, identify the cause of it, rather than just deal with the symptoms of it. So there can be many different causes of conflict, generally speaking, in life, but specifically here in the project. So what might some of those be? Well, you know, we're sort of alluding to a couple there, really. Some, some conflicts are, are literally conflicts over um, physical or geographical resources and so on. So... Uh, both two parties want access to uh, the same expert um, or the same resources at the same time um, and then there are conflicts which really aren't particularly conflicts if you like um, so they're often sort of personality issues where people just don't get on yeah people have People think that someone is out to get them, but but you know it's really just a perception or paranoia. Yeah, yeah. So so you know ego, all these sorts of areas, and and uh, although they're conflict and they need to be resolved, uh, it's usually not a case of sitting down and trying to work out how to divvy up resources or find a way forward. In that sense, it's more a case of um, uh, sitting down and, and getting people to to strip back uh, exactly what they're feeling and why, and get them to sit down with the other party and so on. Yeah, and, and and in a project, if a project's bringing about a change which some people will regard as being injurious to them... Is that word again? Yes, but conveying the benefits of the change, um, explaining the reason why it's deemed to be necessary is a way of addressing people's fears. Absolutely. Um, and so trying to get to the cause of it really is um, is a strong yeah. learning point here. Absolutely. Um, so when I focus on um, a model that can be used in order to help resolve um, a conflict. And it's quite a useful distillation, really, of different approaches that we all have um, in terms of um, looking at uh, conflict. Because if you only ever have one approach, if you always have to win, um, it's fairly predictable and um, and people start to play on that, really. Um, and so just to get through normal adult life, really, you need to have different ways of uh, of dealing with conflict. Mm. And so most, most of us, I mean, some, you know, most of us don't. Most of us have certain default People can, can get locked in, into, yeah. into one or two so, responses. So this it's kind of this connects with the surface in a way. Some people always want to win. Some people really, you know, just kind of bend over backwards to accommodate everyone else. So, so it's that kind of approach. Yeah. So this um, this conflict resolution model that we're going to see um, has got five um, five phases. And again, you may well have come across this already in the pre-course reading booklet. Um, but it's got five different ways of addressing uh, a conflict. So we'll just briefly summarise all these and just weave in an example of a conflict and when it might be of use. So... Beginning with uh, avoiding, uh, where really neither side wins, if you like. Um, so neither side is being fully assertive, and neither side is really giving in to the other side either. Because they don't really engage in the conflict, they, they sidestep. Yeah, it's, not, it's they? not really resolving it. And, it, and if it's something that somebody chose to do to resolve it, and ultimately then it then died down, it'd be likely at some point it would come again to the surface, it would be rekindled. But in a project, you may avoid a conflict. Say, for instance, if you work in a matrix structure and a line manager wanted to take one of your resources that was carrying out a critical path activity, you might avoid it just to buy time. So it might just be a temporary measure. 
um, maybe to work out a plan um so how might you dissuade this person from claiming that resource and um, how might you try to involve the sponsor say it may also in other circumstances allow emotions to die down a little bit yeah so it's it is a, a valid response but it's, so it's not, often temporary it's a void for yeah, now it's, yes it's, it, yeah it's, it's a conditional response really it's not going to be really very good as your final response although i think there are some things you know, if, the, if the consequences of getting into the conflict are going to be more disruptive yeah it might uh, than, than the than the actual issue you've got at hand that there is simply no point in getting into it you know because some people will pick a fight with anyone and the, the idea is there are some things not worth picking a fight over hmm. you've got so, to know when to hold them know when to fold them yeah absolutely oh, because they have the Kenny Rogers um, but also you could compete yes which is winning this is our traditional it's quite way. adversarial isn't it yeah I win you lose yeah and it's kind of you know if you read uh, Stephen Covey's work uh, it's kind of the way that you know many of us have been like Carrie and things like brought that brought up no, that's no. <laughs> different, Stephen. So it's the way most of us have been brought up with this this kind of win lose attitude. If I'm going to win here, we think that someone else has to lose. So it's quite prevalent, and uh, but it's it's absolutely right attitudes taken some circumstances. So if what you're doing is right, then you need to win. And and the problem I think a lot of people have with that is a lot of people walk around thinking they're right all the time. But have you ever met anyone who's right all the time? Yes. So, you know, if you are right uh, or you're doing something for the greater good, you, you absolutely need to compete and you need to win. But uh, there'll be many instances where, you know, despite your compelling need to, to win an, an argument, it is not the right approach. But also it's, it's the way in which these things are conducted. Do you think using the same example of a line manager trying to claim one of your resources, if you're in, say, a stronger matrix and so ultimately you've got a stronger hand than the line manager, then you may be able to repel them. Mm. Um, but you don't have to couch that in adversarial language. No. So as long as you articulate to them the reason why your retention of that resource is more compelling than their yeah, attempts to, to, to take them away from you, mm. then you know the other side, even though ostensibly it is, it is a competing um, example, the other side wouldn't necessarily feel as if they've lost. They can see the reason why, really. Yeah. Um, but competing would be, as you say, just yeah. in circumstances where it is deemed to be particularly important. And the antithesis of that then would be accommodating. Yes, which where is in effect the, the other side has competed, and you've given in to them. You've accommodated yeah. to them. So again, some people are, are like this. They, they're sort of very passive behaviour, where they'll they'll um, they'll give in to to you know maybe a, who they perceive as a stronger party. Uh, but there are certain circumstances where it's a valid response. Um, Many circumstances, yeah, because yeah. you might just be persuaded that, or the other side might persuade you that they're right. Well, absolutely, and it's, uh, I don't, I've had that, it's a horrible thing, we'd be arguing away with something, and you suddenly <laughs> think, actually, I think I'm wrong. Uh, so at that point, it's perfectly valid, and the right thing to do, uh, to, to give in. Indeed, when you're losing, like Hitler in the Second World War, probably would have been better had he realised in 1943, or whenever it may have been, that this wasn't going to happen. If he'd have gone, okay, I give up, and we'd have saved many millions of lives. So it's a perfectly valid response, but but not something you can do all the time because, of course, you're just going to be perceived as, as someone could be walked over, and you're never going to get what you need. Maybe, yeah, and and, that, and that's why these uh, these different responses. Um, it's sensible to use them all at various points. Yes. So just to continue the example of uh, the line manager and uh, the project manager, um, you may accommodate the line manager if the person who's carrying out the work is carrying out an activity that has plenty of float. Yeah. And so really, 
you know it's it doesn't really matter to you uh, that much but if you're in a weaker matrix you might use this accommodating approach um in order to buy a favor yes so the fact that there is plenty of flow in the activity you don't necessarily need to disclose that to uh, the other individual but even if you are in a, in a weaker ma- ma- matrix the way in which you handle conflicts might allow you then to compete at various points even though you may have quite a weak hand so um so accommodating really just persuaded um, by the other side's arguments you know that they're they're right Okay. Uh, and then the, there are two that on the surface level seem quite um, quite close, but there is a subtle difference between them. So to begin with, collaboration. So collaborating where um, both sides are fully satisfied, and that's the key phrase really, um, that both sides have achieved effectively a win-win. It may be quite time-consuming. So this is linked to a collaborative type of negotiation, so in another uh, podcast that we covered. But both sides have looked at the cause of the conflict and have tried to work together to come up with what might be quite a creative solution. So say, for instance, you may well have acquiesced to the line manager's um, request for the resource, but you've received a more than adequate substitute. They're fully satisfied, you're fully satisfied, everyone's happy. And then compromising is similar in that both sides work together, but in this uh, instance, the outcome only partially satisfies both. So you may opt to split the resource half a day each. Yeah. You're not fully happy, they're not fully happy, but resolution couldn't really be reached. So maybe because of time or just practicalities. So the coalition government is an example of a compromise. Cool. You can just see that if compromise is your only response... going to go out of date now, this podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, but who knows, maybe we'll be a coalition government after. Yeah. Um, but if, um, if compromise is your only response, then ultimately that is going to breed dissatisfaction. Mm. Um, because neither side feels as if they've fully got their own way at any point. But really, you know, usually you know, a, a good um, project manager, and this is just something you'd have as like, skills of being an adult, really, if you can label it that way, you use what you think is the approach that is most suitable. Because mm. you say if you just get stuck in one approach all the time, sometimes you do have to consciously um, be self-aware and think, well, you know, I always feel as if I have to win, so mm. I need now to maybe empathise and see how the other side might see this. But if you just get stuck into one approach, if that's going to be that you always give in or you always have to win, then it does become quite predictable for the other side. So if you are multifaceted, it makes it more likely that conflicts will be resolved satisfactorily in the project. Nice finish. I think think so. All right. Thanks, Tim. I don't think so. Okay, so thank you, Adam. Thank you, everybody.